all today. Got a lot of good things happening within our church. Uh, man, God is good. It's good to see a, a full, full house this morning. If y'all will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bible. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, as was mentioned as you're turning there, we got um, a lot of things that you can take part in. One of which that was not mentioned is every year, for well over a decade now, we've been doing a Valentine's dinner, but not on Valentine's Day. So on Friday, February the 12th at 6.30, my dad, along with some other people, he's making his famous prime rib, which will be cooked in-house, marinated, all that kind of good stuff. Anyway, it's only $40 a couple, but there's only 32 couple spots because of space is limited and all that. So if you are interested in having a night where you can enjoy yourself, definitely laugh at yourself. We're gonna have some entertainment um, on that night. We got a MC this year. I won't be saying who it is, but Trent might be, might be up there having a good time. And uh, anyway, it is an awesome night. Uh, if you're wanting to have a night with your special somebody and bring them uh, out and have a good time. So there's only so many spots. If you're interested in that, make sure to go ahead and do that either on the app or the website. And of course, as was being mentioned, uh, we got D-Now coming up for our students. If you're interested in that, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and it's only in a few weeks. So go ahead and sign up soon, as well as, of course, life groups. I am pumped about that. She wasn't lying. There's a lot of different life groups. I'm leading one. Uh, we're going to do a study, literally kind of talking through in more detail some of the stuff that we're already going through on a Sunday morning so that we can ask questions, uh, talk about how practically we can apply some of these things, maybe even more so than even on a Sunday morning will allow. Uh, but we also have groups that they're eating food. That's exactly right. You heard it true. They're going to meet. They're going to eat some really good food together, talk, have a good time, grow their relationship uh, with one another. So there's all different types of groups happening. So definitely be ready for that in a few weeks as we get launched for that. We're going to do our memory verse. Uh, if you saw this coming in, if you entered through the side over there in the front, we have these over um, for you to be able to grab. They got a string on them for you to be able to put on your rearview mirror or for you to be able to put somewhere that you're going to see it. Uh, as you notice, we're starting to do the New City Catechism during the song part of the worship service, but we're doing this now at this point because I want to make sure that we're taking seriously the Word of God. Uh, I want to see more and more families, especially those with children, creating a culture in your home that the Word of God is read and it's memorized and it's prioritized, and I feel like the best way that we can help you guys do it is to include that in on Sunday morning service, and so that is what we're doing. So if you will, look on the screen behind me. End goal is it's one verse per month, not overwhelming, and believe me, we are not truly saying we just want you to memorize one verse per month, but for some of you, that is a great place to start, okay? So that's where we're gonna read this morning. Uh, Luke 16, 10, it says, suppose you can be trusted with something very little, you can also be trusted with something very large. But suppose you are not honest with something very little, then you will also not be honest with something very large, right? So we begin to look at that, of course, applying that into our lives, talking about it with our children. I was sharing with the uh, worship team earlier about our family trying to have um, devotion time, and we have a almost one-year-old, not quite a one-year-old, and it's so hard, I won't even lie to you. He is running around, uh, now he can, he can walk, so he is grabbing anything in sight, I mean, my kids are like trying to focus, and you feel like it's a, sometimes parents, you can give me a witness, you can say amen, sometimes you feel like they don't hear you until they're able to then quote it right back at you, even though they weren't really paying attention. Their minds, listen, they are absorbing so much. Let's protect our homes. Let's make sure that we are including those things which are for life, which is God's word. And so anyway, 
It's been quite a, uh, a fun season for us as we're growing in our own family, but I'm encouraging you within your own to make sure to prioritize that. We are in a brand new series in Hebrews called Jesus is Greater. Last week, we looked at basically a 30,000 foot view, which means that we could just see kind of everything. And it's all about what? Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all of the prophets of the Old Testament, as we're gonna read about this morning. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle or the temple, for he is the true temple of God, the very presence of God. Jesus is greater than the high priesthood, for he is a greater, according to the line of Melchizedek, which we'll get into later on. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the one and ultimate, behold, the Lamb of God, and that is Jesus himself. We talked about these things so that we might understand, just as they understood, the faith that we live is worth living and worth dying for. We asked the question last week in the second service, if following Christ cost you something, would you still do it? If it cost you the potential for a job or financial ability, I mean, would you still follow him? Would you still follow him if in your marriage you were married to someone who wasn't a believer, but you were a believer, and they began to say, listen, I'm gonna have no part of this Jesus in my home, and so you need to figure out which side of the road you're gonna go, but that's how our marriage is gonna work. Would you still follow him even if you were in a situation like that? And what he is seeking to do in Hebrews and what we're seeking to do every single Sunday, every Sunday that you show up, this is battle, whether you feel that way or not. Every Sunday that you show up, we are taking the word of God, which is the sword of God itself, that we might use it and apply it in our lives to realign ourselves with what? The straight and the narrow path, which leads to life, because broad is the way to destruction, and that's exactly where the world's going. So believe me, we're not going downstream, and if you are, you're going with the rest of the world. We're swimming, paddling upstream, and that means we need other people to help us along the way, which is why Sunday morning attendance, life group, and all the rest is so vital to your spiritual health, and not just your health, but your growth, right? Not just your health, but also your growth. So in chapter one, verse one, it says this, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and that is the word of the Lord this morning, right? Loaded, loaded, three Sentences right there are absolutely loaded because it's telling you about the whole book. I mean, it's telling you everything that you need to know. God, in many times and in many ways, he spoke, fragmented through all these different people, but now he is what? Given his final word through Jesus Christ, who's not just a somebody, he's the what? He's the radiance of God. He's the exact imprint of God. When you see Jesus, as we're gonna talk about later, you see the Father, we're not getting cut short in any form or fashion. We are having direct communication from God face-to-face -face in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes with me this morning, I'd encourage you to do so. You can do it either on your app or you can do it on the worship guide that you got at the door. Number one, the message we have received is the climactic communication of God to humanity. The message we've received, it's not just a message among many other messages. No, the message it's the final word of God given to us, given to man, that we might know him and worship him, right? Remember what Jesus said, John 14, 6. 
It's what? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's telling you that he's not just a way, he's the way. He's not just telling you that he has truth to tell you about in part, you know, particles. He's telling you I got the whole. So we begin to look at some of these things this morning. And so the, the contrast is being made between the old and the new. In many different ways, at many different times, God's spoken through what? The prophets. He's spoken to us so that we might, we might know him. He might communicate with us. But now, the climax of the revelation has come through what? God's very own son. God's very own son has been sent so that we might know him and be declared the things of God. And so Christ speaks with finality. The question this morning is, is that okay with you? Is it okay that Christ speaks with finality? Because when someone speaks with finality, then there's not another word to come thereafter. It's not that God doesn't have things to tell us. Obviously, he does. But what I'm getting at, when it comes to the spoken word of salvation, when it comes to the word of truth, we hold that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. We heard that the word of God is truth that is for our lives and for all of those who live on this earth, right? I mean, that's where we stand as Christians. If you don't, then maybe you're outside of that spectrum. But as Christians, that's where you stand. The question is, is that okay with you? Because there's a lot of people who say, you know what, I like Jesus. I, I, I enjoy this whole Christianity thing. I like this verse and I like that verse. And man, I love James. Oh, I love James because it's super practical. And we know our religion of the day is practicality. It's being pragmatic about things and what works for me. And so James is a great one. Proverbs is another good one. But there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't, I don't really know if I believe that. You know what you say when you do that? Especially claiming to be a follower of Jesus, what you're saying is, well, I know more than they know. I know more than God knows. And therefore, I'm able to make judgment upon his word to say, you know what, that's not true. That's something that I'm not willing to uphold. And what we begin to do is make ourselves the judge over God's own word. Because what does it say? Second uh, Timothy 3.16. Every word of God is what is breathed. God has given us his word, spoken through the prophets, and now given to us through his very own son, Jesus Christ, with finality. Here's the problem with every cult. Every cult out there takes elements of truth, but here's the deal. Every single one of them says something about Jesus, and they always add a plus signal to it. Jesus plus something else. People tell me all the time, hey, you know that church across from the school? You'll know that church. And I'm like, no, 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 you mean the cult, the cult across from the school that has a building. They call themselves the Church of the Latter-day Saints, which they're Mormons. They do not believe what we believe. They use our same language, but they don't believe what we believe. They have different definitions for that same language. They believe Jesus plus some. They believe a greater revelation has come to Joseph Smith after Jesus, right? So here's where we gotta find ourselves, and this is what happens with every cult. They look beyond Jesus and never to Jesus. That's the problem with every cult. They look beyond Jesus, they don't look to Jesus, and that's the thing that many of us need to ask ourselves this morning. Is God's word definitive and final in our lives? Is it his kingdom come? Is it his will be done, or is it we who's going to decide? You know what, I'll do some of those things, but <laughs> no, not going to do all those things. Because what you're really saying is it's not his kingdom. Yes, I will show up on Sundays. Yes, I will play the church thing, and yes, I will try to be a good Christian, but no. It's my kingdom, honestly, at the end of the day, because how do you know it's your kingdom? You know it's your kingdom when you know the word of God, and yet you still choose to do the very opposite of it in knowing it. Say it one more time. 
The way that you know it's about your kingdom is when you know the word of God and then you choose in opposition to the word of God. Your choice is therefore declaring yourself king over what your life and not Jesus, not Lord. Remember this, you were bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own, therefore live for him. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it means all the work of salvation has been completed. You don't earn it. And if you're trying to earn it, then you are going in the wrong direction. The wages of sin we know is what is death, and you did earn it. You did your part. I did my part. I'm a great sinner, sad to say, but the fact is I know a Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen? And that's what we talk about, and that's what we think about this morning. So do you ever find yourself asking God to speak to you? Do you? I mean, I hope everybody in here in one sense or another is like, yes. I mean, there's so many times when I got decisions that I need to make that I, I don't know exactly because both decisions I believe to be good. I just need to know what, God, what would be most honoring to you? What would glorify you the most in my life, right? When I'm thinking clearly. There's a lot of times I'm not thinking clearly, but I'm saying when I am, I'm just like, Lord, what would be glorifying to you? What would honor you in this decision? Because in the Bible, you're not gonna find the exact name of the person you're supposed to marry. You're not gonna find it. You're like, if you're flipping through the Bible, yep, I need to figure out, yep, I need her, no, nope. You're not gonna find her name, you're not gonna find his name. Here's what you will find in the Bible. What is a man of God? What is he like? What are the things that he does? How does he pursue God? What's a woman of God? What is she like? What does she pursue? That's what you're gonna find. You're not gonna find in the Bible specific recipes as to how to go to this job or to get that job. No, you're gonna find out how do you live? How do you live in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ to live a life worthy of the calling of God? That's what you'll find. You won't find names, you won't find individual this or that. And so there are times when we say, God, I just need you to tell me. Is it this or is it that? They're both good. Now, sometimes, though, we're just asking God and saying, God, I just want you to speak to me. And what we mean is we, we, we just like, I, I've ne- I don't ever hear you, God. I need you to speak to me. You see this, this verse one and two right here? This is God's patient and gentle rebuke right back at you. Verse one and two is God's patient and gentle rebuke right back at you says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, but now in the last days he has spoken through his son, right? So what we're getting as God speaks through his word, it is final, it is definitive. Jesus in his ministry, left and right, is quoting scripture, giving what? Authority to the fact that it is God's word and then he speaks to us. He's given us and saying, listen, you're, you're saying you need to hear a word from God. Open the Bible, my brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? You wanna hear from God, then open it. You wanna hear from God, then pray, but let your prayers be guided through his word. Let them be guided through his word. Why does someone speak? Why has God spoken in so many different ways? Why? Because he wants to communicate with you. That's the only reason somebody talks to you in the first place. If somebody doesn't like you, what do they do? They don't talk to you. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I, you're talking about my marriage, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, If someone doesn't like you, they don't talk to you. If they don't want to engage with you. But when God, he speaks to us in many different forms and fashions, how so? Take Abraham, for instance. God spoke to him and told him to leave where he lives and to go to a land that he does not know so that he might, what, bless him, right? We got Moses. God speaks and he says, unlike anyone else, I speak to Moses face to face, We read in Hebrews that Moses is faithful in the house of God and God gives him what? The Ten Commandments and gives him the entirety of what? The Torah, the first five books. And God speaks through Moses. God God spoke through Daniel. But he spoke to Daniel in different ways. What was it? Visions and dreams. 
He even sent an angel to him to be able to, and so God speaks. God spoke to Job. Y'all remember that? I mean, Job had a rough life. If you say that you got a bad go at it, I mean, just make sure we read Job before we complain too much on social media. Um, and when you look at Job's life, but then you, you, you read Job and you're just like, man, this guy has had it rough and he's over here just trying to defend himself from his friends. Don't be that friend. And then in verse, or chapter 38, it says that God says, Job, put your belt on, son. Come meet me outside. We got to talk. I'm paraphrasing Josh's version. What he says is, and he comes and he comes to Job, and what does he come to him as? He comes in the form of a whirlwind, which is another way of saying God comes and speaks to him in a form of a tornado. And God says, where were you when I created? Where were you and who do you think you are? And Job is taken through this whole list and God ends up saying to him, basically, I don't have to give you answers because I'm God. And he ends in chapter 42 and what does he say? I heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you. You see, this morning, what my prayer is for so many of us is that we don't have second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand hearing from someone regurgitating something, but you would have an intimate relationship with God and that you would clearly hear him and see him in Scripture. For when you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father, and those who have the Son have eternal life, and those who do not, do not have life. I want you to see him. I want you to know him. I don't want to just talk about, well, this is what we do on the side. No, no, no. This is who you are. Big difference in who you are and what you do, right? But it's who you are. I know Jesus. They said that in Acts. These are common men, but they took notice that they had been with Jesus. May it be said the same of us. Think of the powerful ways that God has spoken. He spoke not only to people, but he also spoke through the flood. He spoke of what? Judgment on sin and the fact that God would not tolerate it, but yet he sends a rainbow to promise that he won't do it in the same way again. He speaks of judgment in what? The 10 plagues in Egypt, saying that these are no gods. And we start the what? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Why put that even in there? Why not just put it, I am the only God, because what? They're being brought from Egypt where there's a plurality of gods and God is taking them from where they are and you too and saying this, where you're at, I'm bringing you to a full revelation of who I am. And that's why we have what fragmented revelation throughout the Old Testament so that it might come to the climax of all re revelation in Jesus Christ. That is what that word there means when it says in many times, in many ways, that word there in the Greek literally means it's fragmented. It's true, but it's pieces, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like putting pieces together. I am horrible at putting stuff together. I know I'm not a real man because of that, but I hate doing that stuff. If it has multiple pieces, like give me glue, give me Gorilla Tape, do something, I don't like doing that. My mom's mom, Granny, I mean, she relishes in getting a thousand-piece puzzle. And I don't know if she relishes in it or not, but we do give it to her. And I, it just blows my mind. If you gave that to me and put me in a room don't give me a butter knife or I might use it on myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might hurt myself. Like, it's, it's torture. Old Testament, it's hard. Give me an amen this morning for some of us. It's hard to understand the ups and the downs and the flows and, and the sacrifice. I mean, Leviticus, it's hard. If you're not laughing, it's because you hadn't read it. I got some of you. It's hard. But then all of a sudden, God says, I'm coming in person. And the real thing that gets in your way is not 
being able to understand the message, it's pride. It's not being able to understand the message. It's very clear. Jesus doesn't let you get away with, oh, he's a good guy. The stuff he says and the things he claims, if he's not God, then he's insane. You see, God declared himself time and time again. Why did God speak in so many different ways? Although a gander, it's because we're hard of hearing. We're hard-hearted in many cases. And so God, in all these different forms and different fashions, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that God uses pain as a megaphone to a deaf world. Some of us wonder why we're going through such a difficult time. Do you ever wonder that God himself loves you so much that he won't allow you to be comfortable in your life when you're living in sin and therefore there is pain and therefore it brings us to the point where we're praying to God and seeking God and saying, Lord God, I need you. And he'll say, my grace is sufficient to his people for he provides us a way. You see, there are many different messages given throughout the Old Testament, but now we have the definitive message of God. And what makes Jesus qualified, by the way? What makes Jesus qualified unlike anyone else? I mean, because you can't just show up to church and just simply say on a regular basis, well, he's just better than everybody else. I agree with that statement, but why, what do you base that on? Where, where do you come off saying that Jesus is more qualified than anyone else? Do you remember some of the stuff he said in the gospel? He says, I forgive sin. And it says that the Pharisees heard what he said and were ready to, what, kill him because he said it. Why? Anyone who forgives sin is what? God. He's over here claiming to be God because he says, I forgive sin. He says, what's easier, to forgive sin or to tell someone to get up and walk? And he does that too. Heals the blind, raises the dead. He goes on to do this. He says, I am before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones. Why? Because he's claiming to be Yahweh of the old covenant. He's claiming to be God, and therefore they knew exactly what he was saying. He receives worship and doesn't tell him to stop. If you read Revelation lately, you'll see multiple times John is overwhelmed by the visions he's given, and the angel that's kind of given him a tour guide, he falls down at his feet, and the angel says, what are you doing? Stop it. I'm just like you. I serve the most high God, worship God. But when people worship Jesus, he never stopped them once. Now, I want to tell you this, wherever you're sitting this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, you've got to start figuring out. Don't just show up because you want self-help Christianity. Show up because you either believe that he truly is the son of God, savior of the world, or you've got some, at least some real questions. And I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. His claims are shocking when you take it at face value for what it is. In the Old Testament, they said, thus saith the Lord. And Jesus said, this is it. Big difference. Jesus says on numerous occasions, it is written, but I say unto you. How can he say that it's written in the Bible, but I say unto you unless he has the authority to do so? This is, I just, I don't think we take it serious. I think is our problem. I don't think we really take, it, take him serious about that. And for many of us, we're comfortable with it because we're like, yeah, I believe he is God. But there's still some of you out there who, who have the questions, but you don't take serious the text. And I think you should really do uh, justice to yourself about your faith and what we're claiming. N.T. Wright said it this way. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? <laughs> I mean, this is inside your worship, God. So y'all need to read this later. There's no way we're going to get it all. That the fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. 
It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world, or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us unable to cope with saying either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shadow world in between. T- I mean, have you thought about it? The God who we see in the Old Testament has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, follow me. And he says, I'll give you rest. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. He says, the work of God is to believe into me. I mean, y'all following that? I mean, what Jesus has claimed. And so, why can we trust the Bible? Why can we trust Jesus? Like, leads me to my second point. Jesus is uniquely qualified to reveal God because he is God. And you're, and you're like, well, that's circle argument. You're just running around in a circle, Josh, and therefore the other point helps with that point. Okay, well, follow me for a second. Jesus is uniquely qualified to reveal God because he is God. Because here's the deal. If Jesus died and he didn't raise from the dead on the third day, then you and I are the most delusional people, most miserable people on the face of the earth. And I have no clue why me and you are here this morning. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have a clue why we're here. If Jesus is dead, as good as he was, let's say he did some miracles. Let's say he was kind and taught us the right way. But if he is still dead, then you are still in your sins and you are still in your trespasses. I want you to think about how messed up our lives would be if it was truly true that Jesus is dead. Every single thing that goes through your mind should be filtered as a Christian through God's word, through his truth. Everything. Everything that we receive is filtered. Everything that comes out is also filtered. You'll notice that a lot of times our filter's not very good when some of the things coming out of us are not quite pure. They're pretty dirty. But everything about us is going through a filter that we receive. We're blocking out things which we say that's not true. We're receiving things which we believe to be true. And then we're also regurgitating out those things, right? Everything. So our worldview is based on Christianity, The way that we treat others and the way that we're selfless, that makes no sense. It makes no sense. If Jesus is dead, I don't understand why we're doing it. Like, why give of yourself to other people who can't help you get ahead? Why give money to help other people if it's not gonna benefit you in the long run? Why not live and die and drink and eat and do all kinds of crazy stuff because there is no God, right? I'm just being real with you. If God's not real, then we should all lose our minds because, I mean, what's the point? If it gets bad enough, end it. You're like, dude, you're messed up. I'm just telling you, end it. If it's bad enough because there is no God, there there is no eternity, there is no such thing truly as sin because that's just something that we make up. It just so happens that we don't like it, therefore we call it sin. No, no, no. If there is not God, then there is no definitive right or wrong. It is only your opinion. Now, the opinion of the mass may carry but nonetheless, it's just your opinion. And then we go right back to what? Who's more powerful? Honestly, if there is no God, why don't some of you end your marriages now? Why don't you? Grass is always greener on the other side. End it now. Because it would be a lot easier. And some of you give that satanic advice to your brothers and sisters sometimes. 
Notice what I just said, satanic advice. Why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way that we live? Why do we keep the faith that we keep? Why are we kind? Why are we generous? Why do we do these things? Because he rose from the dead. Because he is God. Because he is the author of life and he has come in person. Because he's not just a somebody, he is everything. He is the sustainer of all of creation. And not only is he sustainer, he's the upholder, which means that he's carrying it into fruition to the end. It's not static. God's not static. He's working all things to what? To the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says it this way. If Christ has not been raised, then your future, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? He's been raised from the dead. So how do we know that he's God? Look one chapter over. Hebrews chapter two, verse four. What does it say? God also bore witness. He bore witness by what? Signs and miracles and wonders and the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that you might be confirmed in your faith. Because not a single one of you in this room has seen Jesus face to face with your physical eyes. You have not. And yet we believe. Yet there is a conviction in your heart that you know that there is something wrong with you, something missing in you. For we were what? Created by him and for him. Why are so many people unhappy and dissatisfied and completely wandering through life with no intentionality? Why? Because they feel like they have no purpose because they don't know the one who made them. I'm telling you. They might not say it that way and they might not agree with you, but is it not true that we're all just trying to wander through this life and just try to make it? How much more insane if you had no reason, no purpose, and didn't know the one who made you? Paul, starting his letter in Romans, says this in Romans 1.4. He says, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? How did he do it? By the resurrection from the dead. Here's the deal. If you can disprove the resurrection, you can disprove Christianity. If you can disprove the resurrection, then you can disprove Christianity. But I'll tell you this. He told them. In, in the Gospel of Matthew alone, he told them three times before it ever happened exactly how it would happen, what would happen, and that he would raise from the dead on the third day. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, read it for yourself, he told him, he said, this is what's gonna happen. The religious leaders are going to take me, they're going to beat me, they're going to crucify me, but on the third day, I will rise again. He told them what was gonna happen. I wanna tell you, I'm not a betting person, but I would say this, if I was a betting person, I would bet the entire house on Jesus' claim and his word. You say, well, I don't know if that's fully convincing. Okay. His brothers and sisters definitely didn't believe in him during his ministry time, but yet after the resurrection, they saw him, and what do we have? They believed in him. What would it take for you to cause your brothers or sisters or someone really close to you who's known you your whole life to say, they're God in the flesh? You're supposed to laugh at that. Fair enough. You guys are messed up, man. There's no way in the world anybody's gonna say that about you or about me. Anybody who knows me decently knows some screws are loose. <laughs> some th Amen. I don't know if that was an agreement with the statement or uh, about yourself, but whatever. The deal is, these people, when he died, they were scared to death. They went up into an upper room and they locked the door because they were worried. It says that the first people that Jesus even showed himself to were women. 
And they came and told him and said, he's alive, he's risen. They're like, I don't know, I don't believe that. He rebukes them when he comes in Luke and says, you are slow, slow and dull to believe. Even after all of his disciples had seen him, Thomas still hadn't seen him. And he says, unless I put my hand or my finger into his hand, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will never believe a single one of you. It says, Jesus appeared to him. And for an Orthodox Jew to say anything like this about a person would be absolute blasphemy unless it was not true. My Lord and my God. That's what he said about Jesus. 500 witnesses at one time saw the risen Lord after he had been resurrected. Lives were changed. Those who were fearful became fearless and they changed the world. Yeah, so much of Christianity today is only a shell. It's not really Christianity. Those who are truly faithful to God, they live for God no matter what the world does. There's a lot of people with name tags. Don't be confused by that. Read the word so that you might see what is true and what is not true. Those who are truly faithful to Christ will live for Christ. And this leads me to the third and close. To know the Son is to know the Father. For he is the exact imprint of his nature. I mean, this is part of the definitive reason why we know he has the what? He has the word. He is the word. What he declares is definitive. It's the truth. It's the finished word. There's nothing to be added to it. Verse three right here. He is the radiance of the glory of God, which means he pours forth. He outshines. Just like the rays of the sun. You can't separate the rays of the sun from the sun, can you? As long as there's a sun, there's rays. As long as there's rays, there's the sun, right? Now, that's a natural illustration, and it falls apart, but nonetheless, it's true. To see the Father is to see the Son, for they are what? They're one. Because he's the exact imprint, the exact nature. He's just like him. Paul says it this way, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ bodily. The fullness of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And, and one of the episodes in the what? In the Gospels is the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke, I think, 10. Might be nine, maybe Luke nine. But anyway, what he does, he takes up his inner squad. He has 12, but then he only takes up three, Peter, John, and James. And he begins to pray. And as he's praying, he begins to be transfigured before them. And he says, they're tired, so they fall asleep. How many of y'all fall asleep when y'all pray? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, in some of the most crucial times in his ministry, they're asleep. The most crucial time in his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane they're asleep. He's like, couldn't you stay up for 30 minutes for just a second? I guess what I'm getting at is, try to do better, but you're in good company. He's praying, and God gives a glimpse through his son, and he begins to be transfigured, and he shines as bright as the sun. Each version's a little different as to how they explain it. Mark says that his clothes were brighter than the brightest brightener that could possibly be made. Bleach plus some, I guess, if you would say it today. He was changed before them, and when they woke up, they saw him shining like this and, and just the radiance of God, and then they saw Moses and Elijah with him talking about his departure, and the Greek is Exodus, right? I mean, come on, every word's important. Talking to him, and then Peter who always opens his mouth, even if he doesn't have anything good to say, he says, should we build tents, one for you to honor you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah? And as soon as he says it, says the glory cloud 
of God, shining bright, covered them. And he said, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Okay, everything's important, right? Listen to him. Who's Moses? Who's Elijah? Moses received the law. Elijah represents the prophets. What is this? In many times and in many ways, God has spoken to his people. But now in these last days, he has spoken through his son. Why did God the Father overshadow Elijah and Moses? It's because Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's everything that you need unto salvation as great as they are and as great as they were, they do not even compare to grandeur and the glory of Jesus Christ, for he is God in the flesh. I should change the way that you see things. I should change the way that we live our lives. He's the glory of the only Son, John says in John 1.14. He's the exact imprint, he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 3. Philip was having a discussion with him in John 14. And, and Jesus basically was saying, like, how long do I have to be with you guys until you know who I am? Look on the screen with me, John 14, 8. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's gonna be enough for us. You told us a bunch of parables. You told us a bunch of amazing stuff. We've seen miracles. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen all of these things. Just show us the Father. We just wanna see him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? What is he saying? He's saying, you can know me as a miracle worker. You can know me as a great teacher. You can know me as a good man. He says, but if you don't know me as God, then you don't know me at all. Have I been with you so long Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Y'all see this? How, how can you say it? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He goes on to say this in verse 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's saying that he's so close. What did we say earlier? Our catechism. Same in substance, glory, and power. Unique, but same in substance and glory and power. That is the Christian doctrine. That is what we believe. And you're like, how do you explain it? I can't explain it all. Not even close. You got to get to a point. Because Christianity, for so many people, ignorantly say, well, we just believe in faith, but we, we don't have any evidence. Are you? I believe there's gold at the end of the rainbow, but I have no evidence. Really? <laughs> we have evidence everywhere. We have evidence everywhere, and therefore we believe. We do believe. You see, in 1 John 5, it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God 
made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever believes, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I like John. John keeps it simple. Remember on Forrest Gump? I'm not a very smart man, but I know what love is. I'm not very smart either, but I can see it super clear right here. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever doesn't does not have life. What else needs to be said? Nothing. You get to a point when you have to decide. Not your mom, not your dad, not your grandparents. You decide who you're going to be and what you're going to believe. And that will dictate not only your future here on earth, but for all of eternity. It's destined for man to live once and then to die after death, judgment. No do-overs. No, let's see what happens. It's, that's his word. Jesus in finality has spoken. He's given it to us. In him is life. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Let's stand. Father, we come before you thanking you, Lord God, for a chance to read in your scriptures. A chance to remind ourselves of what we believe and why we believe that. A chance to have the Holy Spirit give us conviction in our lives, empowering us to live for you, empowering us to make decisions, Father God, that would be pure in your presence, Lord God. Father, as a prayer team comes down, Father, I just pray that you move in the lives of people. There's a lot of people in here that Sunday after Sunday, they won't. They want to come forward. They want to pray. They want someone to pray for them. But one reason or another, I just pray today that they would feel not only comfortable and confident, but Lord, that they would know that you beckon us to your throne of grace. You call us as your children to say, come on. I'll never turn you away. Come on. A lot of us need to hear that this morning, that God, you love your people. You love us. There's no height nor depth that can separate us from that love. There's no injury. There's no sickness. There's nothing physical. Lord God, no matter what we go through, Lord, that doesn't change your love for us. Lord, I pray that we could have ears to hear and hearts that could receive, Lord God, that the hardness within ourselves, Father, we repented of. We live for you, God. You are a gracious and mighty Savior, worthy of all praise. May that be the reflection of what we now sing to you. In Jesus we pray.